welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Good day, good night, and welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with the latest Formula One news and results. And boy, Wow, am I exhausted. I haven't watched a race and trying to frantically take notes without being able to finish taking notes and I have to start writing a new sentence because something else happened. Mark, this was the craziest Grand Prix I've seen in maybe three years. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, it was eventful right from the very first lap, and it was eventful right down to the very last lap. I mean, if you look at it, it might look a little bit strange to see the final race qualification, or sorry, classification, and if you look at it years from now, say, oh, that race finished under a safety car. It couldn't have been very exciting, but it was anything but. We had people trading paint, we had people overtaking, we had everything happening, and it uh, certainly was... A, a tale of highs and lows and uh, joy and tears for a number of drivers and certainly the final uh, quali- or classification certainly was not what anybody expected. No, it wasn't. And even after turn one, I was like, I was really disappointed and who knew that the Leclerc would finish actually third while being third after the first lap too. Well, let's start with the beginning. Uh, yes. Charles Leclerc got the pole in an amazing fashion, literally dominating the entire weekend so far in Bahrain, getting the best laps in FP1, FP2, qualifying pole position, heading into the, the race with a, a level of maturity that I haven't seen for a young 21-year-old like him in a long time, second youngest pole ever behind Sebastian Vettel. And the youngest Ferrari driver to ever get a pole position. A lot of firsts this weekend. He is actually, too, uh, there's more stats, but the youngest Ferrari driver to ever get a pole position. First of all, Mark, yesterday I did a little recap, but I was by myself. What did you think about Leclerc's pole position after yesterday's qualifying? Oh, I thought it was uh, extremely Im- impressive. I mean, uh, not only did he uh, get the pole, but I mean, look at the guys that he beat to get, take the pole position. I mean, he was uh, in front of his uh, teammate, uh, Sebastian Vettel. I mean, Charles, his um, Q3 time to take the pole was a 127.866. Sebastian's time was a 128.160, and he was only three hundredths of a second in front of Lewis Hamilton. And uh, even Valtteri Bottas wasn't really all that far. I mean, Vettel, Hamilton, and Bottas are all within about a tenth and a half of a second so very very tight so I mean to come out and beat guys like that to uh, start your first race on pole position is is very very impressive but Kevin you know when we go to fast forward now to what we just saw at the race itself today it was uh, certainly um, well I mean he did have I think uh, the the disadvantage of maybe being on the dirtier side of the track because it certainly seemed like Sebastian had more grip getting off uh, the, the line there and into uh, turn one and it certainly seemed that until his tires cleaned up and he got more more heat into them he was really struggling 
struggling to stay ahead. And well, I was kind of wondering at one point, well, he's dropped from P1 to P3 on the first lap. Is he going to get swallowed up by uh, Bottas? And I thought, well, if he gets swallowed up and passed by Bottas, then you have Max Verstappen who's uh, nipping at the tails. And we all know that Max is good for a, a pass or an attempt on one at any time. But uh, all credit to him. He managed to, to keep his cool and uh, get the get the car going, get some heat into those tires. And uh, very soon he uh, got his race back on track, literally, uh, literally and figuratively. And uh, pretty soon yeah. he was... Uh, uh, back in well right back up at the top and that's where he stayed for basically the entire race the moment that really impressed me is when he overtook sebastian vettel outright on the track same car different talent and i guess charlotte Leclerc is the most talented one we saw a lot of his talent during the weekend and his maturity level and just like a spoiler alert he had a technical difficulty late in the race lap 47 the H recovery unit stopped working, which means the turbo didn't get any power because the H recovery unit is what gathers harvest energy, to use the best term, with the braking power. So whenever you see that red light blinking in the back of the car, this is the H recovery unit harvesting mm -hmm. energy to be able to power the turbo, which gives you between 25 to 50 kph more, which was the amount he was missing from that point on. And he got lucky to finish even on the podium if it wasn't for the two Renault started stopped working at the same time. But Charles Leclerc finished third. He should have won this race. He has the fastest lap. So he gets a podium. He gets a point for the fastest lap. But I think we can be honest by saying he won all our hearts and he has become a worldwide phenomenon and the entire paddock was cheering when he talked lewis hamilton valtteri bodas were clapping when he entered the room post race uh you know the cool off room just before the podium ceremony and everyone else clapped i haven't seen this in forever i haven't seen this ever i think and uh, a star is born mark charles leclerc the new darling of Formula One. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, to see a guy, a five-time world champion like Lewis Hamilton uh, applauding a guy like uh, Charles Leclerc is, uh, you know, that, that says a lot, just the respect that uh, that the other drivers uh, have for him. And you, you made a number of good points in what you were just saying just now, Kevin. I mean, the the overtake that he made, not just on Lewis Hamilton, but on uh, on his teammate, Sebastian Vettel, just outright, you know, there, there was uh, no overcut, no undercut. It was just straight wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing on the track. I mean, ju just phenomenal phenomenal stuff and just to, what he was able to do in a car that was equal to Sebastian Vettel's I mean there was no indication uh, during the race that uh, Sebastian was unhappy with anything in his car no indication from either himself or the pit wall that there was any problem with his car so we have to assume it was equal equipment and it was just uh, almost I guess a little glimpse in, um, in 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 the race today at Ferrari what we saw last year at what was then Sauber Alfa Romeo racing between uh, Charles Leclerc and his then teammate Marcus Ericsson week in week out that uh, with equal equipment in which was obviously not one of the best cars on the grid last year or not one of the top cars I should say that uh, but uh, he was constantly and uh, consistently able to outperform his teammate uh, Marcus Ericsson last year and uh, we've seen that this year as, as well I mean obviously la or two weeks ago in Australia there were team orders that
that came into effect. And Charles uh, obviously uh, came home in P5 that race. But had they been allowed to race and uh, had they not instituted the, uh, the the team orders there from the pit wall, obviously I think that uh, Charles would have taken P4. Probably a little bit of a stretch to imagine he would have kind of caught up and passed uh, Max Verstappen at Melbourne. But certainly the guy is quick and uh, I, I think that uh, like you say a star is born he won over a lot of fans and especially with the performance that uh, we saw on the track all weekend long and in, in practice and qualifying in the Grand Prix itself and then the the, the disappointments but then just the class that he, he handled it and uh, well you know <laughs> it is disappointing for him but on the flip side there is a silver lining to that cloud because even though he lost the race he did get his first podium and of course he was benefiting to a certain extent of the safety car uh, period right at the very end of the race and uh, that was just what he needed had they taken that uh, safety car away uh, a couple of laps earlier it, had it worked out that way then he would have just been a sitting duck <laughs> yeah he would have finished like outside of the top 10 probably yeah. <laughs> that would have been a shame but you mentioned yeah. the clean racing in this race between Leclerc and Vettel there was racing. This was an actual race. If you look at the times, all the way to Tony Gio at the 11th spot, everyone's in the same lap. Last week, it was six cars in the same lap. Last Grand Prix was six cars in the same lap. We've seen clean racing. Okay, some wasn't that clean with the Verstappen and Sainz incident in the first lap, which derailed Carlos Sainz's entire race. He had to do four pit stops and eventually... In the penultimate lap of the race, he had to retire. But we've seen clean racing. Like, I've seen Bottas and, and Hamilton race together. Bottas leaving just enough space for Hamilton, but not too much. Both of them racing against each other. Very clean. Same thing between Hamilton and Vettel. They were racing for second position. Hamilton overtook him. And then Vettel was trying to claw back at lap 38. And, and he eventually spun around. But there was no contacts. It was really clean. I don't know if there was a memo, like a driver memo, or if someone talked to all the drivers, but this was a clean race. We've seen more over overtaking in this race than I can remember, for sure. And Bahrain is not the easiest track to overtake, but with the DRS, with the three DRS zones, and for some reason, a driver memo that people say, okay, we're going to leave each other's space this year, and maybe it's a derivative of the fact that you know you can overtake a bit more than last year. So maybe getting overtaken is not uh, as uh, definitive as last year, where if you get overtake, well, it's done. You're going to finish behind it because there's no way the cars can overtake. This year, it's a bit different. So maybe you don't defend or you don't block the opponent, the car behind you, as much because you know that the next Next lap, you'll be in the RS zone and you'll have the advantage. So maybe that's the idea. But the drivers are giving each other a bit more space and they're racing clean and it makes for great racing. Yeah, Kevin, you know, I think you almost stole the words right out of my mouth. And uh, like, like you were saying that the way that the cars are designed this year, what with the simpler um, uh, front wings and the changes that they've made to the brake ducts and the, and the barge boards, just making it more uh, possible for the cars to get closer. And thereby, if the cars are closer, then the theory is that you're able to overtake. And I think that now that there are more opportunities to overtake, that in the past, that when you get a car in a position that where he was trying to overtake some uh, somebody in front of him sometimes i think a lot of the contact was due to the fact that there just weren't many of those opportunities that we saw almost more overtaking and desperation <clears throat> if you will 
And I think from there, that's when you'd see those uh, those, those moments of contact. And uh, I, I think that uh, today we saw a good example of the cars being able to follow each other closer, the opportunities to pass more, and then just the drivers giving each other that respect that because, you know, they know that there's going to be uh, opportunities to, to, to get past or, or overtake the cars in front of them that, okay, well, I lost a position now, but I've got a car and we're in a series now where these opportunities are there to present itself that being overtaken now is not necessarily your day is over and done and you're just going to be waiting to get swallowed up and passed by the car or the next fastest car behind you that we saw guys going up and down and passing uh, all, all over and I was really relishing to see some of these uh, battles between the, 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 the top runners. I mean we saw quite a bit of uh, passing and action between Ferrari and Mercedes uh, this, uh, this afternoon or this morning I should say and we saw plenty of action all the way up and down through the racing order right from green flights to checkered flag and that 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 makes it great of course there were some incidents like you said there was verstappen and uh, carlos Sainz. i mean that was uh, that was re- reviewed by the stewards and ultimately they decided it was a, a racing incident i mean it was unfortunate for carlos uh, don't get me wrong i mean ultimately he decided to retire the car towards the uh, the end of the race but it's it was yeah, it was a racing incident. Um, I, I thought that it was interesting too. Later in the race, the incident uh, between um, Antonio Giovinazzi and uh, the torpedo Kvyat that resulted <laughs> in, in a penalty for Kvyat. Just the way that he closed the door when uh, Giovinazzi was obviously on the inside line and making that move—that was that was fair enough. But you know what? So th- that's racing, and I mean th- these things are are, are going to happen. I mean it was a bit of a silly move by by Kvyat, but ultimately he's the one that paid the price double for that because he spun out and then had uh, got the penalty on top of it but then we even saw the teammates in uh, Ricardo and uh, and uh, Nico Hulkenberg touching uh, at the end of uh, the straightaway into turn one and I, I love the, <laughs> the race radio from Nico Hulkenberg said, what did he just touch me <laughs> or did he just hit me so you know it, it's good to see I mean I don't mind these little incidents I mean it's going to happen from time to time as long as guys are respectful and it's not dangerous and it's not reckless I, I'm okay with it yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Let's talk about Renault, Mark. Uh, Renault, uh, yeah, uh, what happened there? Uh, lap 55. <laughs> I thought they hit each other. When I first saw both Renault like, uh, off like two two corners uh, difference, one's in the, the, uh, the gravel, one's in the escape area, and you look at the cars, there's no damage whatsoever. You don't hear yep. anything. You're wondering, did they run out of fuel? What did they do? And then you have the replay, and you see Alkenberg's engine just dying, just exploding at the end of that turn, and he just continues, like, okay, I'm done. And almost, like, it, I don't know if it's serendipity or, or what is it, but at the exact same time, <laughs> Ricardo's car just loses every electric power it has. So I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what happened there. It doesn't look good for Renault. They do have reliability issues. We can be sure of that now. But not only this, they, they are lacking pace with the qualifying yesterday, with the result in the race here, both Renault outside of the points and mix this with the fact that McLaren, the fact that um, Haas and as well, uh, let me just, where is it in my, uh, so I have it in my here. So the three mid-team, uh, McLaren, Haas, and uh, Renault, slowly they're getting a bit better. But Renault, with the reliability issues, they're still going to have to battle like racing point in the hierarchy, which they should be a lot higher than that. Renault should be battling for fourth. 
but reliability is their biggest downfall, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but when I saw the replay, when because uh, I mean, first of all, I, I noticed that it was a Ricardo that was parked on the side of the track, and I'm like, well, what's happened to Hulkenberg? Was that Hulkenberg? I was a little bit confused as to which Renault was actually off the track and retired, and then I realized it was both of them. But then when we saw the the, the replays of what was happening, um, well, I mean, Ricardo's is a bit of a, a mystery at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see in the, uh, the the postmortem of this Grand Prix in the next couple of days what actually comes out, what the official reason for his retirement is but Hulkenberg the engine letting go like that you know maybe not too much of a surprise I mean you look at when he was running his in his highest uh, position during the race he was 11 spots ahead of where he qualified and he was really racing hard and even after Vettel had his moments and had to go into the uh, the, the pits to replace the tires and the, the the front wing he came out past Ricardo past Hulkenberg and Hulkenberg you know he stuck with him I mean he wasn't right on his rear wing but he was within about four seconds of uh, Vettel. I mean, Vettel maybe wasn't uh, pushing it, realizing that he was not going to catch uh, Max Verstappen by the end of the race, and just did not want to put uh, more uh, wear and tear on the uh, on the equipment than necessary. So there, there's that to consider. But I mean, four and a half seconds, kind of holding there, is is not really all that. Um, it was small of a gap that I would have anticipated. I would have thought that uh, would have expected Vettel to disappear down the track. So maybe Nico Hulkenberg had the, uh, the the boost turned up a little bit more. Maybe he was pushing it. I mean that that will be remain to be seen. But certainly a double DNF does not look good for them. I mean especially when you see that uh, that Max Verstappen again with the Red Bull uh, with the Honda in it now. Of course, uh, you know the Red Bull partnership with them is uh, long over. Is in P4. You know getting points. Again, and even Pierre Gasly was uh, well beneficiary of some good luck there, and managed to get a, a P8. Uh, you know, I think that so much uh, maybe flatters his afternoon uh, yeah. a little bit, but yeah. certainly uh, it doesn't look good. But then you even compare the Renaults. I mean, you you look at Lando Norris coming home in in P6. Carlos Sainz certainly looked uh, pretty pacey off of the uh, you know the uh, off of the start. And uh, I even uh, remarked, I think if you go and look through our, our Twitter feed, that uh, I made a remark even. I think it was just before where they uh, they, they touched and uh, signs went off. But certainly, I mean, would we have would we have said one year ago? Would we even said two weeks ago that we would have expected to see a McLaren and a Red Bull dicing for position, even on the first lap? I, I'm I'm sure that's a hard no for for everyone. But uh, certainly, I mean, uh, they, they had a, a very good qualifying. I mean, uh, both uh, both of the, uh, the the McLarens were qualified in the top ten, Sainz in seventh, and uh, Norris in P10. And then you got to go a, a ways back uh, to find the uh, the, the two, uh, you know, Renault cars. So uh, certainly a very disappointing uh, for for them. But you know, that's that's Formula One, and you know, right now, at least in the moral battle, <laughs> I think that uh, that uh, that uh, that uh, Red Bull is is taking the, uh, the the higher ground. I guess they're they're feeling pretty justified in their their uh, decision to switch. But certainly, uh, they they've got some big work to do there. And I, I was a little bit mistaken there. I mean, Lando uh, qualified in P10, uh, Danny Ricardo qualified in P7 or P11. It was uh, Hulkenberg that uh, didn't make a, make it out of Q1 and qualified in P17. Yep. So so certainly they got some big issues there. I mean, they, they weren't exactly, uh, you know, they didn't have uh, the, the greatest race in Australia a couple of weeks ago either. So things are not going good despite all the, the, the big boasts and claims that they made at, uh, at the start of the season. And to be fair, you were, you're right. They were 6th and 7th at one point during the race today. 
And uh, I did write on my notes that it looks like Haas, McLaren, and Renault really got their act together. Renault, unfortunately, uh, as we say, that tweet didn't age well. So by the end of the race, uh, my note did not age well because Renault both DNF. (laughs) But look at the midfield battle for a second. And we'll get to Red Bull. I want to dedicate like a few minutes to Red Bull itself because I think it's... it's it's worth it. Uh, Pierre Gasly is sure. not cutting it right now, and we'll talk about this. Yeah. But the midfield battle, Haas, McLaren, Renault, and Racing Point are the four teams battling for fourth, this, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh spot in the Constructors' Championship. And that race is going to be fascinating. It's unfortunate for Grosjean that he had to change some parts, had a five-grid uh, spot penalty for the beginning of the race today and it, it's a shame too that K-Mag had not necessarily the the best race today uh, but we do feel uh, actually I do feel uh, that they deserved better Haas and uh, they were really quick in qualifying and I think the midfield battle of Haas McLaren and Renault is going to be fascinating because all those three teams, okay, Renault might need reliability, but McLaren has surprisingly been reliable. Uh, the science trouble today had nothing to do with reliability of the car. Nope. The car seems to be a lot more easy to drive, and for Lando Norris to do two great performances in his first two Grand Prix is impressive. Between Vettel and Raikkonen, like finished sixth between a former uh, world champion and the biggest veteran in the field as Kimi Raikkonen, McLaren has surprised me. Haas is surprising me. And both teams, okay, Haas surprising me even more because they're doing a lot with not that much. And they're not producing the parts themselves. They're literally like a company that buys a lot of things from their suppliers. They build the final product and they race with it. And I'm surprised. Uh, Haas might be onto something. And if you just figure out the race pace a bit and luck, considering Grosjean, uh, Haas could be the fourth best team and you know this could be to the detriment of a racing point which seems to be going backwards right now yeah absolutely and let's talk a little bit more about that in the midfield battle as we pause briefly here for network identification and a word from our sponsor passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Kevin. Well, yeah, a number of things to to talk about uh, that uh, we would we left off on just before the break there, and uh, certainly, yeah, the, you, the the comments that you were making about uh, Haas certainly very a, a disappointing afternoon for them. Uh, again, they had a, a pretty decent um, time of it in in, in qualifying. Uh, they they were competitive uh, at least. I, I mean, unfortunately, of course, uh, Roman Grosjean had the, uh, the 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 penalty uh, applied to them, but. 
they were they were looking good. They they looked good in uh, Australia a couple of weeks ago, but uh, unfortunately the, the the race pace wasn't there today. Grosjean, of course, had the, uh, the the first corner coming together with Lance Stroll, which kind of ruined his race, and he didn't actually uh, finish the after it was all said and done. Kevin Magnussen he qualified in P6, but uh, in the uh, the actual race itself. That the, the pace doesn't wasn't there. He just uh, was not competitive and uh, finished well out of the points in, in P13. But then uh, again, the racing point, like you say, they they look like they're going backwards. But then again, you have Sergio Perez. Again, his uh, his afternoon may be flattered a, a little bit by the uh, the untimely uh, retirement of or the double DNF of the, uh, the the Renaults right at the end there. Because I mean, he sneaks in to get a point right at the very end in, in P10 and Lance Stroll well off of the pace. Who knows? What uh, what he was dealing with uh, throughout the, uh, the the race. Obviously, he had that uh, that uh, first corner coming together with Grosjean. Who knows if he was ca- uh, carrying a problem? But again, he had issues all, all weekend long. I mean, he had a, a pretty good opening race in Australia a couple of weeks ago. I think he surprised a lot of people finishing where he did inside of the top ten. But then uh, this weekend, you know, he doesn't get out of Q uh, Q1 in the, in the race. He's nowhere. He gets lapped. So, you know, it doesn't really help, uh, you know, his uh, his supporters and his boosters to, you know, have a weekend like he did. And uh, definitely uh, n- not his finest uh, moments. But, you know, it, it's interesting. Again, you look at um, <laughs> you look at the Williams. I mean, I, I know anything that we can kind of uh, say at this point is a little bit redundant because we've just talked about uh, how bad they are going back even, you know, two months ago now or six weeks ago back to uh, winter testing but I mean you look now again they're they're the final two cars in the uh, in the in the racing order, they were classified 15th and 16th. Uh, George Russell was uh, down one lap. Kubica was um, he was lapped twice by the time it was all said and done. Yeah. So obviously the, the the issues they have there are well, who knows if they're terminal? They're terminal for this season, <laughs> and who knows Patrick Head will be able to to turn it around uh, based on whatever his uh, his input is going to be on his uh, somewhat uh, limited uh, consultancy role with uh, with in his return to Williams. Yeah, that's a you know what what did I talk about last week uh, last show Mark uh, two weeks ago I mentioned Patrick Head by name <laughs> I yeah. literally said William should go back in their history and get people that knew what they were doing Patrick Head uh, Patrick Head was hired as a consultant and it's funny too because at the same time John Clear is the one like working at a really high level for Ferrari so those are all coming from Williams but uh, you're right and uh, Russell is doing the best he can. But uh, this is going to seem really terrible, what I'm going to say. And uh, no offense to the driver I'm going to talk about next. I'm not saying you're trash, my friend. Not at all. You're a really good driver. Your story is amazing. And it's it's a feel-good story. But he's just not quick enough. Is mm-hmm. it the injuries? Is it Robert Kubica? It's not cutting it in Formula 1. Two laps down. And the only driver two laps down. And not just two laps, like a whole lot of second between him and his teammates, which means that it's not the car. His second lap down is more his performance, his pace. And he's not quick enough. He's not good enough. And I guess we have our answer. I guess we understand why Williams was a reluctant putting him in the seat last year. And it took uh, basically a lack of other options for them this year and the lack of willingness to pay uh, more drivers a lot more money and to pay him a salary when he's not driving. Yeah, the Robert Kubica experiment at Williams is failing. It's failing badly. 
and it's becoming an embarrassment for Williams. And I don't know how long before they actually make a move and get a new driver in that car. I wouldn't be surprised. But so far, after two Grand Prix, it's a terrible, terrible result for Williams. Well, you know, it was funny, too, because when uh, the uh, the drivers uh, were kind of being all moved around last year and, and, and drivers were being confirmed for whatever team and here and there, uh, it, it was interesting because after George Russell was confirmed to be going to uh, Williams for 2019 and that second seat was kind of, it, it was open for a while and there, there was a lot of talk, well, you know, it really kind of hinges on, you know, what's Lance Stroll going to do? I mean, it was, it was an obvious open secret that he was going to go to racing points. I mean, when, when your dad leads the consortium that buys the team <laughs> you know it's you, you just you, you it's, everybody's new let's just put it that way that that's where he was going to end up and of course that's exactly what happened but of course the the other thing that when uh, everybody was really wondering about is well if lance is going to a racing point what's going to happen to esteban Ocon? because i mean he's had a season in a bit in formula one and i i think for a young guy he's done very well he did um, you know I, I mean obviously it's racing point force india whatever you want to call it so there are going to be uh you know they're not going to be challenging for for race victories but he did very well i mean he uh obviously had some uh hard moments with uh, sergio perez and uh they, they each uh they they had their time here and there but uh i think that Ocon obviously acquitted himself uh, very well in the, the the time that he was in formula one and he was one of the names that was uh, thrown out there to possibly be that second to williams driver for this year of course it doesn't work out that way and esteban uh, ends up as reserve driver for uh, not for Williams uh, pardon me Mercedes. but for Mercedes and I think that if uh, you are Esteban Ocon you're sitting there right now thinking you know what I think I'm in a pretty good place I might not be out there racing right now but at least I'm not racing in a Williams <laughs> at least I'm not <laughs> actually damaging my reputation by racing in a yep. bad car just ask Pascal Verline how racing with a bad car can affect your reputation he's yep. not an F1 anymore so He's in Formula E, right? The the two years at Sauber did a tremendous job of ruining the reputation of a Pascal Verline, which is literally Esteban Ocon three years ago. Is Pascal Verline? So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you, you, there, there's uh, you're you're right. There's a lot of parallels to be made uh, between the two of them, and certainly. <clears throat> You know, Verline was, uh, I mean, he was even the reserve driver at uh, at Mercedes a couple of years ago when it was Hamilton and Rosberg. So, you know, you kind of fast forward now to the next generation of drivers. And, yeah, you have you have, <laughs> you have uh, Ocon kind of sitting on the sidelines and uh, Verline, he's not even mentioned in Formula One anymore. So, you know, who knows? Uh, it, it seems doubtful, you know, the, the way that, uh, that Formula One is. It's either you're hot or you're not. And when you're not hot, you're just gone from formula one unless your name is danny kiviat and you just happen to be uh, <laughs> the benefactor of good fortune that somehow a team and a system like red bull uh, just does not have enough uh, drivers with uh, enough points uh, to earn their super license and uh, he gets his way back into to, to formula one but you know i, I just want to you know talking about uh, red bull right now i just want to talk a little bit now about uh, about those two uh, the, the two cars there verstappen finishing i think whereabouts uh, we would expect and and obviously a bit of a quiet race for Max, apart from that uh, you know, early coming together with, uh, with Carlos Sainz. But 
just based on the pace that we saw this weekend, it was Ferrari, then it was Mercedes, and then it was uh, pretty much uh, everyone else. So that's not really too much of a surprise. But, you know, the the one thing that I am surprised about, and uh, this is not really anything new, uh, is just so far the the difference between Pierre Gasly and and Max Verstappen. Uh, Verstappen, we know what Max is all about. I mean, he's been doing it for several years now. I mean, he's got all the attributes to, to be, uh, well, I mean, he's already a superstar in Formula One. I mean, he's all got all the attributes to be a race winner and a potential Formula One world champion. But I would have expected to see Gasly be a little bit closer. I don't know if I necessarily expect Gasly to be delivering the performances uh, in 2019, uh, at least right off of the bat that uh, that we saw in previous, where it would be Ricardo and Verstappen or Verstappen and Ricardo. I mean, they were pretty close and consistent uh, in the, the the way that those two finished uh, races, but. Certainly, I mean, even looking at the the the, the race classification uh, for today, I mean, he is in a P8, and like I say, I mean, he's flattered a little bit. So, I mean, at, at best, he's four places uh, behind his teammate. At worst, he's five or six places uh, behind his teammate. Do we expect more from Pierre Gasly in the Red Bull, or is it a little bit too early to uh, to uh, push him for those results, Kevin? What do you think? No, we we should expect more, and he's not delivering. Why? Look at it. Like look at the counterparts, and I, I think it's it's twofold here. I think when you look at Charles Leclerc and you look at Max Verstappen two years ago, what he did when he went from Toro Rosso to Red Bull, and Charles Leclerc to go from Alfa Romeo to Ferrari, and Pierre Gasly to go from Toro Rosso to Red Bull are all very similar situation where it's very young drivers getting a seat in a top team in Formula One. So for for that basis of comparison, you can look at their results after just a couple races. Max won its first race, but it was mid-season. He was transferring to a team that had the, the knowledge of the car that is way ahead of now. It was Barcelona, which is mid-season. So that is different. But we can look at Charles Leclerc after two Grand Prix and Pierre Gasly after two Grand Prix. They should be in a similar position. And it's P8, but it's not a real P8. It's actually a P10 that got a lot of luck when the two Renaults went kaput. So yep. uh, for me, is a P10. And P10, when you started P13th in a track where you have three DRS zones and you're supposed to have a good car, think shows that I think it puts in perspective how great a work Charles Leclerc is doing and how great Max Verstappen was in its transfer. And I think it just shows us that it's not that easy. And Pierre Gasly might be a talented driver, but there's still a big step from Toro Rosso to Red Bull. And I think it shows us, too, that, yes, Honda might be fast. Uh, the Honda engine might be great, uh, better than we thought. And that relationship might be going well. But there's a big gap this year so far between Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull. And then there's another gap in the rest of the field. But I think the gap between the rest of this field is smaller. I think they're closer to fourth than, there is to than they are to second in the construction championship and that is because of Pierre Gasly he has to find a way to be closer to his teammate because it's not looking good on him so far we are not expecting too much out of him if you're good enough you're old enough age is is not a factor at that level of competitive sports so Pierre Gasly should do better and should be able to rival his teammates and so far He's like a second behind every lap. It's just not good enough, Mark. 
Yeah, you know, I, I was just uh, kind of uh, looking at the uh, the Constructors Championship as uh, you you were talking there, Kevin. <clears throat> and right now we have uh, Mercedes after two races on top with 44 points, uh, Ferrari in second place in the championship with tw- uh, 22 points, and Red Bull uh, with uh, 15 points. So you know, obviously it is it, it is very very early in in the in the season to really draw too many conclusions from that, but certainly based on the first two races of the season, it, it, it's exactly like you say we we need to see more from Pierre Gasly and I'm sure that the team is going to uh, you know instill that message upon him too because you know winter testing didn't really go excuse me all that um, smoothly for him either I mean they did lose uh, some time in the second test because you know he had an accident and they kind of had to to, to piece the cars together so that kind of limited the running that they had and I, I know that you're setting the bar kind of high when uh, you know you have a teammate in, in Max Verstappen but I think just based on what we've seen through the first couple of races, I think it really goes to show of how close and how maybe a little bit more evenly matched uh, Max and, uh, and and Ricardo were as teammates. I think obviously you got to give the uh, the edge to to Max Verstappen, but I think that uh, Ricardo obviously on his uh, like on on his day was good for winning a race or two here and there, and we we've seen him prove that over the the, the past several years, and he's always good for a podium. And certainly, like I was saying just a, a few minutes ago, when uh, it's it was always one or the other in front of each other so the results were very very consistent and you know if you even go back like a year ago into the constructors championship you had uh, mercedes way out in front with 655 points ferrari with 571 points and red bull with 419 points i know there's several hundred points added on to that of course because that's the, uh, the the final standings at yeah. the end of uh, 2018 but there's a similar gap if you look at 44 22 and 15 compared to 65 571 and 419 proportionally they're about the same so if things keep uh, continuing to go as they have for the first two races through the next 19 races to Abu Dhabi and the end of November it's very possible that's exactly how it could play out and of course in a couple of weeks we're going to Shanghai we're going to China for the thousandth Grand Prix oh yeah and Kevin it really makes you wonder what is going to happen in Shanghai? Is it going to be another Mercedes one-two? Is it going to be? Is is it going to be Ferrari finally getting it right? Because that was the big question: was they are fast, but are they reliable? And today they prove they are not reliable. And I, I would still like to hear what uh, you know Vettel's side of the story is in the instant that uh, that he had. Was it uh, was it the tires? Was it him just pushing it too much, <laughs> carrying too much speed through that corner, trying to stick with Hamilton, and then just losing it on the apex? I don't know. I'm going to give him the yeah. benefit of the doubt until I hear otherwise. But but you know, we, it kind of looked like a guy pushing it too much, right? Yeah, but we did hear about Hamilton, uh, about that moment. And Hamilton said, I knew he was going to come inside. So I stayed on the outside and I waited until the last possible moment to break. Which means Vettel waited till the pos- last possible moment to break too, just following the car in front of him and to try to, to, to figure out if that space was there or not. And uh, the space was there, but I think it's, we know Vettel. Like, did Vettel own up to any of his mistakes last year? Uh, no. Throws the team, strategy, anything else under the bus. And it doesn't matter if it's his fault or not. So we're not going to hear if it's actually his fault or not. But he was pushing. And, you know, you're pushing. It's a racing. And Formula One has been sterile for a bit now. That we all, we forget that 
that's normal. Like, look at any other racing leagues or uh, the formulas and prototypes or if you look at uh, Daytona, like NASCAR, IndyCar, look at uh, what happens in endurance racing, Le Mans and Rolex and Daytona and all those races. When you race with someone else and they have a fast car and you have a fast car, you want to keep up with them. Sometimes you can't and sometimes the back of your car just slips away from you. Just just goes away from you because you're pushing the car to its limits. And I want to see that. That's what I want to see. Formula One cars, drivers trying to get to the other car. Not just being conservative and sterile and not wanting to risk it. To win, you have to risk it. Especially if we're going to have a, a season where there's six pretending to, pretender for the championship. And there's more than one team pretending for like going for the wins. They're going to have to battle each other on the track. And you want to see that. So it is Vettel's fault, but it is dictated by the great pressure that Hamilton did put on Vettel by waiting at the end of that apex to break turn, to leave just enough space, but the car, because you're waiting so long before you actually turn, you're past the apex, your balance of their car is not made for that, and then the end, just you just turn around. And that's yep. what I want to see, though. It's racing, and it was great to see. I felt vindicated. I mean, yes, that's what we want to see. Yes, that's a race. That's yep. how you drive. That, that's how you drive for a second spot in the race. Yeah, totally. And I mean, that's uh, one of the, I guess, one of my complaints or one of the issues I've had over the past couple of years that it's either been Ferrari or Mercedes. You know, one car was always better suited to another track. So it was either one of the Mercedes racing off to the distance or one of the Ferraris. And rarely did we see them racing head to head. So to see them racing head to head over the past couple of races this year, I think it's great. And, you know, if, uh, you know, like like you were just saying, Sebastian, probably overcooked it carried too much speed into that corner and then just uh was not able to keep the the rear end of the car on the track when you're coming out of the uh at the at the exit of that turn and just loses it hey that's racing but you know what they were racing and that's what we want to see and i think that's uh, that's what's uh, exciting and of course i mean even though it didn't end well for sebastian vettel today compared to lewis hamilton there still are 19 races left and that's that's the great thing anything can happen i mean it's proven to be uh, unpredictable i mean 2 weeks ago sure it was a mercedes 1 2 on the uh, on that race as well but did we really expect to see Valtteri Bottas come out and really dominate that the way that he did i mean i know that lewis had some issues with his car with the floor on his car but was he really was the the issue with the uh, with the with the floor the damage <laughs> they had that much yeah. of a detriment that he was that far behind Bottas? I mean, we, we talked about it, I think twice now in previous shows, but then uh, you you fast forward to this week and then you just see how dominant uh, that the Ferrari, how much speed that they had, and then you just see all the things that unfold during the race. So I think that if this can uh, continue, if uh, Red Bull can kind of find a way to get Max a little bit more into the mix, who knows? You know, they were very good in China last year. Of course, there was a bit of a you know a benefit there because there was the accident uh, between uh, Sebastian Vettel and then Max Verstappen and then uh, Red Bull of course did their typical uh, smart and uh, you know opportunistic uh, uh, pit stops to double stack their cars or really get uh, Ricardo in there and it played out well for them so they can win there whether they can win there this year in a straight up fight uh, between themselves and Ferrari and uh, Mercedes remains to be seen but it can happen. It can happen, and before we just continue, we'll take a very short break still for our sponsors, and we'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Scoot Area F1 podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. I'm Kevin Laramie with Mark Daly, as always. And Mark, before we turn our attention to China and Shanghai in two weeks' time, in a fortnight's time, the race number 1,000 in the history of Formula One will just wrap up race number 999, the Bahrain Grand Prix in 2019. Mark, it was the eighth Grand Prix to ever finish under a safety car, the first since China in 2015 so that just shows you too the lack of safety car means because the lack of battle if you have battles on the track there's things that are going to happen things are going to fly away mostly front wings are going to be flying away everywhere but but i think it's one of the fun things with the new design and the bigger front wing and i think we've seen this with hamilton and leclerc when they were battling in the first lap too Hamilton was really nice to Leclerc because as much as he didn't want to hurt him, he didn't want to hurt his car too. And at some point, Leclerc was not fast in the third corner and Hamilton was behind him trying to find an opening and you see Leclerc just trying to survive and Hamilton just breaks a little to make sure that his front wing doesn't catch his Leclerc's left back tire. Uh, But this shows you that the drivers are aware of the size of their front wings they're aware that if they go too close and even with the drs that's more effective you have to get new marks because you have to break a little before because actually you're coming in with a lot more speed than before and if you're not careful your front wing is gonna is gonna touch the other car but the chaos of front wings breaking in formula one this year will give us a bit of a a bit of a monkey in the wrench where we'll see cars out of position. And now with the new downforce, the new grip that the car seems to have, especially because of the downforce of the bigger front wing and back wing, but as well as the speed of DRS, we're going to see more overtaking. So those that one decision to make the front wing and the back wing bigger mixed with this affecting the DRS. If you make the back wing bigger, it affects the speed the DRS gives you. So that single decision might be why we're seeing two more exciting races than before this year so far. And I think it bodes well. And the drivers are aware because they're reacting either conservatively or going for it. They don't want to be caught in the middle where if you're just going to touch the other car, your your wings are going to break. So I think that decision might be the best decision Formula One has taken during the offseason. The way that they just kind of push that one through, and then also just the the, the way that the the whole development of these new wings and the barge boards and the brake ducts, how it really has come and been implemented into the sport. I mean, there was a lot of complaints from the teams at the time, and even over the course of the winter, that <clears throat> that there were a lot of issues uh, designing them, and just the. Uh, the amount of money, I think it was Red Bull said uh, something to the effect of that they spent 15 million euros just to de- design the, uh, uh, the, the the new front wings uh, and then just the way that uh, all the changes and impacts that it had to the, to the rest of the car. But it's the, the one thing that really fascinates me is that the way that, you know, the, the reason for the the, uh, the arrow change was, of course, to make the, the, the closer uh, racing and just to uh, minimize that uh, the disturbance of the, uh, the, the dirty air behind behind the cars but you know there, there was a lot of complaints about it how it was going to slow it down how it was going to reduce the downforce and all these things so all these negative things that were discussed and and put out there by the the different teams the different drivers the different designers the different engineers 
between last year and this year, and then to the fact that you know we we've seen that basically all these issues that 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 they were complaining about haven't really materialized. They they've um, managed as usual, as is the ingenuity, as is the brilliance with the people that work in Formula One that design these cars and all the pieces that go on them and inside of them, that they were able to 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 take that challenge and and it's working and it's working great. So. Hopefully, we see more races like we we did uh, in Bahrain this afternoon, and we see that uh, the the rest of the year. Certainly, uh, we've seen in China some moments uh, over the uh, over the years, and at Shanghai, there are several or two very very long straightaways. And uh, I'm I'm just looking at the the circuit map right now. Uh, the the way that they have it um, at least set up at the moment is uh, for two DRS zones, but we've seen um, them add additional DRS zones. Who who knows by the time we get to Shanghai in a couple of weeks whether or not they will add another uh, a third one but uh, certainly some of these longer straightaways that they have at the start finish and then also at the back of the circuit can make uh, for some very very uh, exciting opportunities uh, for cars to overtake each other so uh, I'm looking forward to it yeah a few things about the Shanghai Grand Prix it'll be the 1000th Grand Prix in the history of Formula One knowing American media, American liberty media, and knowing how big round numbers are important for them because it catches people's attention, I imagine there's going to be a lot of festivities in China. I hope they bring drivers of the past. I hope they bring whatever they can. I hope we see old cars, vintage cars in the pre-race that we see around the track. I hope we hear more about some of the behind the scenes in the greatest moment of history of Formula One. Uh, I hope there's a lot of things, but I think I'm, I'm having hope and I think it's going to come to me because, yeah, Liberty Media is actually really good at those things and they've been hyping the 1000 race, race all season long. They were mentioning, oh, race 998 in Australia, 999 in Bahrain, Don't it's the road to 1000. And that 1000 will truly mark the end of an era and the beginning of Liberty Media for me, owning and not being afraid of changing things, right? When you buy a brand new company, you don't just come in and change everything the second week. You stay there for a year, a year and a half. You assess a lot of different things. You slowly share your vision with your coworkers, with the people underneath you as a chase, uh, as a uh, uh, chase uh the guy from Liberty Media, I forget his last name for some reason, and Ross Brown. So, so yeah, yeah, him. So when you're in that position, you wait a little bit, and then you start changing. And I think Race One Thousand will mark the mental barrier where Liberty Media feels that they're finally in control of Formula One, and it's long gone from Bernie Ecclestone. So I think Race One Thousand will show us what the future of Formula was while looking at the history. And will bring us a lot of uh, interesting ideas. But I hope they announce in the next week so we can talk about it in next week's show, Mark, what event and what special attraction Liberty Media will bring for the 1000th Grand Prix in the history of Formula One. Absolutely. I've got a couple of points to add to that, Kevin, and we'll do so as we wrap up the final segment of the show here on the Overtime Media Network. After this very short break, you're listening to Scuderia F1 special post-race live stream. We'll be back in just a moment. 
All right, Kevin, let's, uh, it's time to start wrapping this one up. A, a very eventful Bahrain Grand Prix, but we were just uh, talking about uh, the Chinese Grand Prix in Shanghai just before the break here. And uh, yeah, the, the, it was interesting too when uh, it uh, came out that the 1000th Grand Prix was going to be in China. There was some talk that they were going to try and maybe manipulate the schedule and maybe have it at uh, at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix. And honestly, honestly I'm kind of glad that they just decided to have it wherever it fell in the schedule and if it uh, just happened to be China then uh, th then so be it and uh, certainly like you were saying just now I'm looking forward to seeing what sort of festivities and what sort of uh, commemorations that they make around the special event because they've been going now since 1950 and if you think about some of the iconic names you've got Fangio you have uh, <laughs> I mean we could just keep going I mean there, there's Fangio you have Jim Clark you have Michael Schumacher you have Ayrton Senna Alan Prost uh, I mean just keep going on I've... and on and on so many legendary names and teams like Mercedes Ferraris Maserati and, and going Villeneuve. on and on to your teams Villeneuve of course I have to plug Villeneuve father and son Gilles Villeneuve. <laughs> exactly. Father and son. But a lot of the James Hunt, the Hill duo of father and son, Graham yes. and uh, Damon. No, so a lot of history in Formula One. And next week, I, I hope we'll see one of the old cars. And I hope, you know, I hope we'll see the six wheel car go around the track once or twice, you know, just, just for, uh, for uh, old time sakes. Because uh, there's been some weird cars in the history of Formula One. There's cars that look more like spaceship that happened before. And, you know, I would kind of mm -hmm. like to, to see them one more time in celebration of the 1000th race. And I hope we'll see something like, what will F1 look in a thousand race from now? Will we have Formula One just like planes and just basically <laughs> being in the air? Will, will flying cars exist? Will F1 be flying cars? Will it be all electric in a, in a thousand races time? Uh, I think it's it's interesting to, to just have that thought experiment of what can Formula One look like in a thousand races time. Mark, quickly off the top of your head, if you can use your your ability to project yourself in the future, what would... F1 look 50 years from now. Wow, I'll have to pick up my my dusty crystal ball here and give it a little bit of a polish, Kevin. But I, I think obviously that the, the the future is going to be electric, and I don't think that it is going to be obviously the um, the the sole um, fiefdom, if you will, of Formula E. They've got their own, I think, identity, though the own way that they kind of uh, race their own way that they market and their own design of the cars and things like that. And I've been watching a little bit more of Formula E this year. Uh, I'm, I'm still finding it a little bit to try and really snag my attention to the degree yeah. that uh, Formula One is. I mean, it, it's an interesting, exciting series. There's some good racing in it, don't get me wrong. But the one thing that, uh, that really... Um, that I find is a for me maybe not so so much of an attracting factor is the fact that is that that the circuits are so small they're so tight they're so yeah. compact. If they could get that um, to the point where you could erase electric cars on a big full size Grand Prix circuits like we saw in in uh, in uh, in Bahrain today or in Shanghai or at Spa Francorchamps at Monza at Montreal wherever it is I think that's where you know ultimately Formula One has to try and get to get to because I mean you hear 
now that uh, a lot of the car manufacturers are looking at certain days that uh, or certain dates in time in the future that beyond 2025 we are not manufacturing any more gasoline powered cars we're not going to be making cars with internal combustion engines whatever it might be so that's obviously where it is and i think if you look at this uh, electric technology i mean a big step for formula e is to be able to run a race with one car on one charge rather than in some of the previous seasons where you know they'd have to change Switch midway cars. into a different car so yeah. the technology obviously is evolving very very quickly and uh, formula one has embraced that technology to a degree because we've been racing now for five years with the uh, with the the hybrid t- or turbo hybrid v6 engine so there is uh, the, the component of that and um, you know there there's the batteries in the car so there's that kinetic recovery system so i would like to see formula one go in that uh, in that direction in the future with some of these wild and and really cool looking uh, concept cars and then uh, be able to um, get that uh, develop a a, a, an electric engine that has the torque it's got the power it's got the top end that can power a car over 200 miles an hour and you know can take it i mean you just look now at uh, the shanghai international circuit for example it's a it's about five and a half kilometers in length it's a just over 300 kilometer total race distance 56 laps and uh, and a lap around there is about a minute and a half michael schumacher's uh, lap record was set back in 2004 and that's a 132.238 and if they could get electric cars at that point uh to 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 be able to lap and perform in, in, in a same way i think it'd be great you know but but that's a long way away and the other thing is too and maybe i'm just being a little bit picky i was really taken aback in 2014 when the cars got to australia they came out onto the track and i was like wow these turbo hybrid (laughs) cars are very quiet But you compare those to the the high-pitched whine of the electric cars. And I still maintain that the current Formula One cars, no matter how awesome and amazing that the technology is that go into these engines is, it still lacks something in the noise of the the V10s, the V8s, the V12s. So, you know, there's that. I mean, call me a purist, call me picky, call me whatever you want, but... I like the sound. I miss the sound of those <laughs> engines. No, I agree. And, and I think there's though there, there's going to be more technologies and more things developing in the next 50 years that will change Formula One. Well, heck, society will change as a whole. So over the next 50, 60 years, depending on how many races there is per year. So in the next thousand race, it could take less than 50 years. There's 21 per year. It's going to take exactly uh, about 42. So for me... In the next thousand races, Mark, we might see the switch from from gasoline engine to to electric, and then we might even see a switch from electric to another type of powered car. I wouldn't be surprised if at that point, in twenty to thirty years down the road, there's something different. There's something even more powerful, and maybe you get cars going all the way to four hundred kilometers an hour, or if not faster, with different type of tracks. Because the only real racing you'll see in the entire world will be this, because cars will be either electric or autonomous, or no one will be driving maybe in forty years. So F one might be the only place where you can watch people drive very fast and compete against each other. Who knows? Maybe hydrogen-powered cars will be something in the future because we all know hydrogen-powered spaceships exist and from spaceship to Formula One, it's a very small gap, actually. Like, cars of Formula One are almost more similar to a spaceship than they would be to a regular road car. 
like in the evolution of it, they're, they're closer to the higher end than the regular car. So I wouldn't be surprised if down the road, um, when gasoline is not an option anymore, you find another way to have a fuel-based car, just a different type of fuel. Hydrogen burns at extremely high temperature, and you can create a really different type of car. And maybe that's going to be the future of Formula One. I think we have to be open to it. But I think to make sure that it stays what it is, being full electric, I don't think, will give Formula One its soul. Because the soul of Formula One is to be the cutting edge of technology for cars. And it's like NASA in a way that it's when you push yourself and you try to attain almost impossible results like going to the moon and landing on it in a time where you barely have black and white uh, like color television. That's a heck of a of an idea and ambition. And if you pull it off, well, it drives technology to really different places and i think formula one can be that if you push cars to be hydrogen fuel and create ways and different opportunities maybe we will have down the road more than one option of of uh, eco-friendly type of cars so electric and maybe you'll have fuel for the persons who and like hydrogen fuel cars it's basically you break down water and you have some fuel so i think we have to keep an open mind for the future but in my mind it has endured 50 years and will probably endure at least another 50. Oh, absolutely. And how about this, Kevin? How about uh, resurrecting George Clooney and his uh, and his co-cast uh, in that movie and rename it Men Who Stare at F1 Cars? I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> yeah. we got, instead of these, uh, the, these top-end Formula One drivers, we'll get a bunch of flaky psychics, but somehow I think uh, it would miss <laughs> something. And of course, I'm kidding. Anyways, I think it's a good place to, to wrap up the, uh, the, the show there, Kevin. Before we go, let's just uh, quickly run down the, the World Championship. Valtteri Bottas, by virtue of winning the point for the fastest lap in Australia two weeks ago, leads the World Championship with 44 points, a single point ahead of his teammate Lewis Hamilton. Max Verstappen currently third with 27 points, a single point ahead of the new darling of Formula One, Charles Leclerc, who has 26. Sebastian Vettel rounds out the top five with 22. Kimi Raikkonen, Lando Norris, Kevin Magnussen, Nico Hulkenberg and Pierre Gasly round out the top 10. Gasly with four points. And if you go all the way down to the very last couple of drivers in the, the World Championship, you have Antonio Giovinazzi, George Russell, Robert Kubica, Daniel Ricciardo, and Carlos Sainz, two guys that you would not expect to have zero points two races into the Formula One season have exactly that. So that's where we stand. We are done here, Kevin, and I'd like to uh, thank everyone for listening to us here at Scuderia F1 on the Overtime Media Network. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod, and you can give us a follow there and send us a tweet and weigh in on what we've discussed today in the show or on the, uh, the, the regular show that comes out every week. And on behalf of myself and my co-host Kevin Laramie, thank you very much. And until next time, have a great Formula One. for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.